Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and this is the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. Happy 2022 everyone! I hope you guys all enjoyed your New Year's celebrations, uh, whether you did or did not celebrate the New Year and hopefully everybody celebrated it safely. I am very excited to kind of get back on track with the podcast now that the holidays are over, now that I'm not quite so sick. I was playing in the snow a little too much when I visited family and of course got really sick from that. So I figured now would probably be worse recording for. But I'm feeling better now and I'm very excited to talk to you guys about our murders of the week. And I found her on Netflix. There is a crime special. It's four episodes, about 45 minutes to an hour each. And it is about Elise Monsunaga. And it's called Once Upon a Crime. But Elise Monsunaga is the woman who kind of made headlines in 2012 when she shot her millionaire husband, Marcos Matsunaga, chopped up his body, packed his dismembered body into garbage bags, and then put them in suitcases, and was videoed in the elevator security, wheeling them into the elevator, and then disposing of the body in this wooded area outside of Sao Paulo, Brazil. So Marcos Matsunaga was a really famous man who was one of the, basically the top CEO of the country for a food brand called Yoki. And Yoki was actually bought by General Mills, which is a multinational brand. It's a, it's a really big company too, which just obviously expanded the worth even more. This was a really high profile case because this man was probably the top, one of the top CEOs of the country and it's still making headlines today, especially because the murderer is interviewed while they're still in prison serving their sentence and kind of sharing their side of a story, especially one that's so sensational and gruesome. And I have some thoughts on this documentary. I We'll share them when we get closer to the part that they mostly talked about, but let's go ahead and do some background first. She reports her family was very poor and that her father left and abandoned them when they were when she was only three years old. After he did, she and her mother moved with uh, her grandma and her aunt, who primarily raised Elise. From a young child, she was really close to them. Even in the documentary, they're the two family members that are interviewed the most. When she was young, she always wanted to uh, half a slice of the rich and royal life since they grew up so poor. Her mother told her that if she worked hard, she would eventually get herself there, you know, and eventually have the life that she wanted. Not a lot is known about Elise's early life, right? Like there's not a ton of information between when her father left and when she moved away from her family. She wanted to go to school to be a nurse, but her family didn't have enough money to send her to school, so she moved to Sao Paulo and began working as an escort through a high-end escort company with the money that she earned from that, she was able to afford an apartment to rent and also afford to go to nursing school. Her escort name while she was working was Kelly and she apparently had the very much girl next door, outgoing blonde, supermodel type of profile up. Elise met Marco Kitano Matsunaga, her future husband, through this website used to solicit escorts. So Marcos was a pretty hotshot CEO. He was a food brand entrepreneur and his family had been very successful for themselves. His grandfather was the one to found this company, Yoki, and it was one of the major food companies in Brazil. But of course, Marcos was married at this time. He and Elise were together for about three years until he divorced from his wife, at which case they began dating officially. They ended up getting married in an Anglican church and by all accounts were very happy together. It seems like for the first 
few years, um, Alicia and Marco spent a lot of time together. They both enjoyed traveling. They both enjoyed hunting. Um, they were really big into hunting game and skinning and kind of mounting trophies from their hunts as well as travel. There's tons of pictures of them traveling around the world, lots of posts about where they've been going and where their next vacation was planned. So by all accounts for a while, they were very happy together. Not too long after their married life kind of began settling down, Marcos began having an affair. And it turns out this was kind of a pattern of his. He would meet a woman, fall in love, either get married or have a relationship with them, and then begin seeing other women on the side. Alicia was furious when she found out. It's like, okay, it's fine when she was the other woman, but to let him have another other woman who wasn't her, absolutely not. You know, and that's kind of like the hard thing with this pattern of behavior. It feels like there's there's always going to be someone who's like, oh yeah, like, we're in a relationship and I'm the other woman, but when it's, he's with me, he obviously wouldn't do this. And that just wasn't true. Now, according to Litsi, when she confronted him about this, uh, he at first denied it. And in her words kind of made her feel like she was going crazy. And their relationship went downhill from there. It was at this point that she mentioned getting separated and wanting a divorce from him. Before this, they had been trying for children, trying for children. It hadn't been working. And then, of course when she starts talking about leaving uh, leaving him, when she talks about ending the relationship, they both find out that she's pregnant. Elitzi says that Marcos came to her and promised it would never happen again and promised that he would be in this relationship with her and would never do, um, would never cheat on her again with another woman, uh, that kind of stuff. And until her daughter was born, it seemed like everything was fine. And then once again, she noticed that he was away for what he said was for work a lot. Eventually, she hired a private investigator to tail him and see if he was having an affair. Around this time, her mother was sick and she decided to go out of town to visit her mother. And while she was out of town, she got confirmation from the private investigator investigator that he had video of Marcos while he was with another woman. They actually showed this video in the documentary, which I was surprised by. Like, that's a big step to show the murder victim as he's cheating on the murderer with another woman and have that actually play in the documentary. Um, I was very, very surprised that they showed that. So, Elisee sees this and gets the confirmation from the private investigator. And what she does after is she goes back to Sao Paulo, takes the video, and then shows it to Marcos's family. Like, they watch this video of him entering a restaurant with another woman, kind of being really handsy with her and uh, putting his arm around her. Um, obviously, it's not like a work thing. But they watch this video with Marcos's family. And his mother, when she sees this video, is just like, wow, I can't, I did not raise him like this. I'm so sorry. So up until this point, it sounds like Marcos's family and got along really well with Elitzi. And just like, what a bold move to take the tape of your husband cheating on you to his side of the family first before confronting your husband. Like, say what you want about the horrible act she committed. Like, to do that is such a big power play. I'm a little impressed by it. But anyway, moving on past this, now Elise has this video and this confirmation. So so later um, on the evening of May 19th, she and Marcos are having dinner together. And she confronts him about it and says that she has this um this tape this surveillance of him with other women and this is where it kind of goes more into what 
she says happens uh, because obviously the documentary is telling her side of the story. But she says that when she told Marcos, he became angry and she became scared. She says said that she told him she wanted to, to leave him and she wanted to take her, her daughter. And he said, you will not be taking my daughter from me and kind of became really verbally abusive and slapped her across the face. She also says that at this point, this was when she went into the closet and took a gun um, because she was scared of what else he might do to her. And when he advanced towards her, she shot him in the head and he died. Continuing her statement, she says, that she kind of just was in shock, didn't know what to do, and decided that her best course of action at this point was to get rid of the body. Like, she didn't want anybody to find him. So she dragged him into a closet, and because she had this history of hunting, and she was very hands-on with, like, kind of skinning the animals and she knew anatomy and she worked as a nurse before she met Marcos. She then dismembered his body and put it into a bunch of different trash bags before then putting those bags inside different suitcases. And this is where you can see surveillance footage of her getting onto an elevator with those suitcases. There's about four and leaving the either the apartment or condo or wherever it is that they were living at that time. She then reports Marcos as missing. Um, he's reported missing on May 20th and she says that they had a fight and apparently neighbors verify that she, they were they heard arguing and that he packed his couple suitcases and that he left. This just happened to be on the day that General Mills was completing their deal with the Yoki food brand. Obviously like people get concerned, his family's concerned about where he is and they're there's really no information until a couple days later when an email comes from Marcos, supposedly, saying that he was fine, he just needed a break and needed time away from everybody. And because they kind of heard from him, they assume like, okay, like maybe he's fine, maybe just needs some time away from people, maybe, you know, they kind of take him at his word. For a while after, like, there's nothing. Like, Elitzi still sends emails to everybody asking to report if there's any information. She still meets with the family and like says, I hope we find him. It isn't until body parts started getting discovered. So it wasn't actually until the city guard found these dismembered legs on the side of a road in blue trash bags that started making headlines. Clothes were basically their only lead. Like, so even then, at this point, there was no connection about Marcos's disappearance and these body parts that were found on the side of the road. Um, but stories were dominated the news cycle about how these body parts were found. There was really no lead because there wasn't really any way to get fingerprints. There wasn't any identifying marks. Um, the only lead they had were the clothes because the clothes were very high-end clothes, they were brand name clothes, and they felt expensive, and so it narrowed down a lot of the population that was in that area, so that was really the only lead that they had. As well as the fact that the body was cut cleanly. It wasn't until it was identified to be possibly an Asian man that connections began being made. Marcos's brother was eventually called to identify the body, and he did. And later on, it was confirmed to be Marcos Matsunaga. At this point, now it went from where is Marcos to who killed Marcos. They're obviously questioning Marcos's brother, like, okay, does he have any enemies? Narrow it down because he's obviously this multimillionaire CEO. So obviously there's probably business enemies. There's probably people who maybe were disgruntled ex-employees. And then he mentions like, okay, like, does he have, is he married? Like, who do we need to notify? 
And his brother said, yes, he has a wife. Uh, her name is Alisi. And they ask, okay, what does she do? He's like, well, she just got, at the time that Alicia and Marcos were together, Alicia had just finished going through law school. Um, so he's like, well, she just finished law school. But before she was doing law school, she used to be a nurse. And police immediately kind of were like, okay, that's interesting. Because of the fact that this body was so precise in the in the cuts and the dismemberment. Eventually, she gets called in for questioning, and it's then that she confesses that she's the one who killed Marcos. In the documentary, she admits to kind of talking to one of her old law school professors before they officially charged her with anything and just kind of asking if he would represent her. And so it's interesting because they definitely discussed defense strategy in the documentary. So the lawyer, her ex-law professor, he mentions like, okay, the one thing I told her was to tell the truth, like tell your story and stick to it. Like if that's the truth, stick to it. And so it's like very much like, I almost feel like they admitted to the fact that like, okay, just find a story that confesses to you murdering him, but don't deviate from it. You know, like she came out and full on just confessed of his murder. The next big question was, was this something that was premeditated or was it something that was spontaneous and like a crime of passion because if it was a crime of passion the jail sentence was like 12 to 30 years where as if it was premeditated murder um it was anywhere but from 15 to life sentence however the prosecution and the detectives they claimed that it was much more than a crime of passion for one thing, uh, it showed that that the coroner found was that the angle that he was shot at really only seemed to be able to happen if he was crouched down or almost kneeling, so almost execution style. Another thing that came up in trial was that Elise had become accustomed to this type of life, this very extravagant and rich lifestyle where she had a lot of money, she could afford things, she had class and status, and if her and Marcos divorced, not only would it be likely that he retained a lot of custody of her daughter because of his wealth and his status, but that she would lose a lot of status herself and she would not be able to afford the extravagant lifestyle that she had gotten used to. Another thing was that her claims of this being something like she didn't plan and it just happened spontaneously and yet also the fact that she sent out these incriminating emails where she pretended to be Marcos reassuring her family you know reassuring saying that he was fine he was just away for a while so that was something too that the defense was like this feels almost too planned out like it felt like it was something that didn't happen in the spur of the moment it felt like that was something that you take an extra step to go and do and one more thing that the defense and the prosecution argued about in her case was whether or not Marcos was actually dead officially when she began dismembering his body. One of the medical examiners found that just due to the amount of blood and what he estimated the time of death to be, that it was very possible that Marcos was technically still alive, which would add a whole layer of cruelty and uh, mutilation to Elise's case, even more so than already there was. But the defense called in another medical expert who said that, well, if we would consider him to be alive at this point, then we would need to re consider the way that we classify everybody else who is brain dead to be alive and for organ transplant like it was a very weird defense like it was like okay well considering the fact that yes he may have been physically alive but the brainstem was destroyed by the shot basically the, the the defense came back and argued well no the shot destroyed his brainstem so he was brain dead so therefore technically he was not alive when she began dismembering him and i was just like that is a very weird 
defense to come up with. Like, on the stand, he's saying, like, okay, like, if we consider this to be no longer something that's, if we consider brain dead to be no longer alive, then we will have to look at the entire way we harvest organs, because oftentimes organ donors, when they're declared brain dead, and they sign off on donation, organs are harvested while they're, you know, at that point. And it's just like, it's a, it was a very weird defense. I was watching the documentary, like, wow, like, they, they really had to bring in an organ donation to this? Like, it was just, it's like, this woman chopped up her husband! She shot him and chopped him up! And... Then lied about, like, manipulated everybody into thinking he was just missing, and then only came forward after she'd talked to a bunch of lawyers, and was basically studying and finished her studies as a lawyer herself, and had her whole story straight, and had her whole defense planned, and then she came forward and confessed, because, oh yeah, when you confess, that uh, lightens your sentence, versus if you had uh, not confessed before being prosecuted, right? So it's just like, it was just so weird. It's like, okay, like this whole documentary, it's like they do a really good job. The first three parts of showing like, yeah, no, at least she definitely confessed to murdering him. She said that she shot him and then she dismembered him. There's video cameras of her with suitcases taking the body and then coming back with no suitcases. She came up with this whole story of him being disappeared, of him having taken off during a fight. She had a lot to lose. And yet somehow like a lot of people still were generating sympathy. And the last episode of this documentary kind of goes into generating sympathy for Elitsi. And I'm just like, I... I get like, oh yeah, wanting to tell the whole story and tell every perspective and all that, but she like straight up confessed to murder. Like she straight up just was like, yep, I murdered my husband. And in the documentary, she's like, I tried to be a better person. I shouldn't have done this, but she's never actually like apologizes really for what she's done. So anyway, that's my little rant. Like it was, the documentary was very interesting because it's like the first three episodes, I feel like they do a good job of like showing the whole case. Anyway, so she confesses to this crime of passion. They're in trial. She's, or she's remanded to prison until her trial four years later and kind of just created this persona that she was this fragile, helpless woman. So on December 5th, 2016, after spending four years in prison, the jury finds Alitsi Matsunaga guilty of acting in self-defense. She was sentenced to 19 years and 11 months in prison for the murder, destruction, and concealment of her husband's corpse. Apparently, based off the work that Alitsi did while she was in prison, the sentence was later recalculated to 18 years. And then in 2019, it was reduced to 16 years and three months since she confessed to the crime. So she is still um, only maybe about halfway through her sentence currently. And you may be asking, well, how was this documentary filmed if she was only halfway through her sentence? Apparently in Brazil, there's this rule that after a certain amount of time spent serving your sentence, you're allowed furlough time. So she was basically allowed out for a week Every, I don't know how often it says. I'm trying to figure it out, but I can't really find it. But she has allowed out for furlough. So it was when she was on these furlough breaks that they filmed this documentary and had her interview and show her like at restaurants and coffee shops and at the beach. And it's just very interesting. The fact that she committed such a heinous and like gruesome murder but she's still allowed out of prison because she's considered a model prisoner anyway that is the story of elitsi matsunaga the woman who confessed to murdering and dismembering her husband her daughter who she had with the late marcos matsunaga is currently staying with the matsunaga family like they um gained custody of her after their son's murder but yeah 
that is the story of Alice Monsonaga and the murder that she committed. Honestly, at this point, I feel like she's kind of been... A lot of people like watch this documentary and they're kind of like, wow, what a poor woman. She grew up with such a hard life. And like, it was all this trauma that made her do that. But it's just like, I don't like how they like try to gain so much sympathy for her. And then it's like, yeah, she killed her husband, but Marcos was cheating on her. So it's okay. It's like, there's people out there who get cheated on, who whose spouses have affairs and they don't murder them. <laughs> like murder is not the answer. And so I would just, I really honestly couldn't really watch the fourth episode too much once I found out that it was just to soften the thing things she did that was the one thing I didn't enjoy like it's it was a, a terrible crime she did like it was horrible and awful and I didn't appreciate the attempts to make it seem like it wasn't that bad anyway that's my thoughts I'm sorry this episode came out a lot more rambly than usual um honestly I kind of I watched this series I read a bunch of articles and I just had to just get my thoughts out on it like I just I I couldn't put it together as nicely as I do for my normal episodes like this one I was just kind of shocked I guess at the way that this document docu-series went um if you have watched it and have your, you have your own thoughts on it i would love to hear from you please feel free to reach out to me i am on twitter tumblr facebook instagram all of the above at frumious reads that's f-r-u-m-i-o-u-s-r-e-a-d-s if you want to stay up to date with the podcast make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts we are pretty much everywhere we are on apple google play stitcher podbean libsyn anywhere and everywhere that you listen to podcasts we are there that is all i have for you guys today i would love to know what you thought of this episode as much of a train wreck as i feel like it might be um i'm very interested in your guys's thoughts and opinions thank you so much for listening again and i will talk to you guys next week stay spooky friends goodbye <laughs>